Hi, this is Big Talk. Michael Glab here. Joining us this week is an old friend of the show. This person has been on Big Talk in the past. Forrest Gilmore, he's the executive director of Beacon Incorporated. Forrest, welcome to Big Talk. Thank you for having me here. It's great to great to be back on the show. Now, there is a possibility that not every listener knows what Beacon is. Sure. They may know what the Shalom Center is. Sure. And a few years ago, that's all the operation was known as. But there were so many different programs and operations that they decided to go under an umbrella name, Beacon. What are some of the programs, projects, things that make up Beacon? Beacon at its core is a place who's there to help assist people experiencing extreme poverty, so support them and to hopefully empower them into a better quality of life. We're most known for our work for hunger and homelessness, working with hunger and homelessness. But we have six core programs. The most popular one is Shalom Center, which is our day center, which is um, open Monday through Friday from 8 to 4 p.m. and 8 a.m. to 4 p.m., where we provide meals and um and a lot of basic resources. It's uh, really a support center there. So we have case management. We also have a lot of life essentials like showers, laundry, things like that that really support people. forget people. that people who don't have addresses yep. need, need a place to take a shower, Absolutely. need a place to wash their clothes. Absolutely. It, that's basic. We think we don't even think about that, we who live in homes. Absolutely. That's one of the interesting things about homelessness is there's so many things that many of us take for granted that become even where do you get your mail? You know, you want to get an ID. Where do you put the address for your ID on when you need an ID to get basically anything? So, And you help with that. We sure do. Yeah, mm-hmm. and a lot of those resources. Um, so Shalom Center is one of our core programs. Um, operating out of the Shalom Center are two other uh, programs. One's called Phil's Kitchen, which is our hunger relief program, and it's named after a beloved supporter, Phil Saunders, mm-hmm. um, and where we provide breakfast and lunch uh, Monday through Friday every week. We serve about 70,000 meals a year, so substantial support for people who need that. One of the things we pride on ourselves on is we have a really good chef, and our meals are homemade and prepared on site, and that's, uh, I think, really important because we want people to have not only a meal, but we want them to have a, a good meal that tastes good and that's nutritious mm-hmm. and healthy for them. We always have a vegetarian option as well, so we really want to support people um, to, to have a healthy meal and a nutritious meal for them. And then we've got uh, operating out of the Shalom Center also is our rapid rehousing program, which is a housing program for people who are um, mostly just need an extra boost to get back. They're homeless and they just need an extra boost. Um, So sometimes they need a security deposit or they need some help with application fees. Sometimes they need some help uh, just with, you know, first couple of months rent until they can get back on their feet. So it's trying to get people back housed as quickly as possible and uh, break down some of those significant barriers to getting back into a home quickly. You know, security deposits can be really expensive, $1,000 plus these days. And uh, sometimes um, some places uh, they're charging uh, even more than that, Mm -hmm. Um, as well as sometimes people will be asking for first and last month's rent or sometimes even more than that. Um, And so people um, can really struggle to get that startup funding to to move, move in when they're just living month to month. Like so many of us, there are people who are maybe a week 
or a paycheck away from sleeping on the street. Certainly could be. I, I mean, uh, it's uh, it can be very precarious. It's interesting that most people who, when they end up in the homeless system, by the time they get to the point where they're staying in a shelter or mm-hmm. a day center or, or, God forbid, sleeping outside, they've actually been um, without a permanent residence for a while prior to that and have been living off of whatever resources they have left, whatever family resources they have left whatever um, financial resources they have left. So by the time they get to the shelter system, usually everything is gone at that point. Mm. And so there is actually kind of a transitional process for many people when they become homeless from that losing their apartment uh, the first that, that, that first instant to the point where they're actually on the streets, which I always find kind of uh, interesting and fascinating that people are really trying to take care of themselves as much as possible until they can't anymore. Which uh, And we'll get back to more of the programs and projects, sure. but it brings up a thing I wanted to bring up. Is it ever anybody's fault? Is it your fault mm-hmm. that you're homeless? Sure. Oh, God. I mean, that's a challenging question, right? And there's a, uh, a quote that I uh, like to spend a lot of time with, which is um, by Dorothy Day, who's a founder of the Catholic Worker Movement. Wonderful, wonderful soul, just um, amazing work that she did through that work. And she said, the uh, gospel takes away our right forever to discriminate between the deserving and undeserving poor. And I sit with that quote a lot because... um, because I think we can get caught up into that, is this person deserving? Is this person undeserving? Is it their fault? Is there not their fault? And and certainly, you know, people do all kinds of things that might be their fault, you know, in terms of getting to their situation. But one Wrong thing, choices, sure, that type sure, of deal. Yeah. Sure, And one thing I like to, you know, and, and one thing that we're, you know, when we, we're doing well, we can make a mistake or make a frivolous purchase or something like that. And that, that won't put us on the streets right (laughs) but for someone who's on the edge already and that's where most people experiencing homelessness have been and are um, they're on that edge so any small mistake can be catastrophic catastrophic yeah so 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 there's a there's a yes and to that and you know and there's also just the larger structural issues of poverty in our country and how much uh, particular extreme poverty we have and and the amount of support we provide or don't provide for people in poverty. So there's, it's a, that's a huge question, but I keep coming back to that. Let's not get into the business of discriminating between deserving and undeserving. They're, they're poor, they're struggling, they're in challenge. Let's, let's do what we can to help them get back on their feet. Let's extend a hand. Yeah. And that's, that's what Beacon Incorporated does. It, we're with the executive director of Beacon Incorporated today, Forrest Gilmore, and he's in the process of telling us what the projects and programs are. We've left off with rapid rehousing. Yes, so we have core, you know, six core projects. Uh, again, Shalom Center, Phil's Kitchen. Um, we talked a bit about rapid rehousing. Um, we also have uh, Street Outreach, which is a program that goes out onto the streets trying to reach people who are not accessing shelter but are living outside. What um, does this mean? What, what, people go out and say, <clears throat> hey, do you want to come sleep at our place? Is that the way it works? Well, you, we actually do a very specific kind of street outreach, which we call housing-based street, uh, street outreach. So our goal is to go out and meet people um, who are on the streets and then try and help them get into housing. So we try to go straight from streets homelessness to housing if it's possible. Certainly, we try to create intermediate stages for them to be safer. 
but uh, we're not we're we're invested in survivability, but we're you know and but our our core focus is how do we get people housed? Yeah, and because uh, we really want to be so, so solutions based and solutions solutions driven. And, um, and and this is more than just shelter. This is <clears throat> finding perhaps a, some permanent housing absolutely. and help for that. Yeah, that's a big thing about our community. And even though we are certainly a shelter provider, when people think about homeless services, one of the first things they think about is let's provide shelter. And when there's a significant uh, homeless uh, issue, people often say let's let's provide more shelter. We need more shelter. But the gap in our system, and that, that can be true for certain communities, a lot of the neighboring areas around us have very little sheltering or none. Um, the, only, the major shelter providers are Terre Haute and Indianapolis and, and uh, Jeffersonville, mm-hmm. um, a little bit in Bedford, um, a little bit in Martinsville. But, you know, but those are big, big gaps of space where there's nothing for people or very little resources for so in terms of shelter, we certainly need more shelter in those communities, but our communities have a lot of, our community has a lot of shelter and the big, the big gap for us is housing is, is, uh, you know, how do we get people from shelter to housing? And so that's a big, a big part of what we've invested in is trying to make that transition. In terms of other programs, we've, we do, we just mentioned it, we do have Friends Place, which is our overnight shelter. It's a 40-bed shelter for Monroe County residents. Uh, it's LGBTQ plus affirming, which is something I very find very important about that. And, and uh, it's the only uh, non-religious shelter for adults in our region, which I also think is really important. Uh, and then last but not least, um, we have Crawford Homes, which is a permanent supportive housing program for people who are chronically homeless. So where Rapid Rehousing works for people who just need an extra boost, uh, permanent supportive housing works for people with severe disabilities who yeah, are yeah. homeless because of that and yeah. basically die in the streets if they don't get that assistance. Could this be both physical and mental disabilities? 100%. And yeah. Oftentimes it's... Um, it's multiple. There's something we call trimorbidity, mm. um, where people have uh, a severe substance use disorder, a severe mental illness, and some kind of chronic illness or physical disability. And those three combine to be quite deadly. Now, you know, you're talking about shelters at, uh, at several points in this conversation. What does low barrier mean? Low barrier, the, the concept of low barrier is is basically trying to put as few barriers as possible between the client and the service that you provide the service for them and uh, you don't get into all kinds of, you know, challenges that make it hard for them to access the service. What, what would be an example of a barrier? Well, paperwork's a good one, you know, <laughs> just like uh, requiring ID, for example, you yeah. know, is a, is, a, is a big one. A lot of people experiencing homelessness have, uh, don't have ID, have lost ID, um, need to get it again. So that could be an example. Um, a lot of programs require people to be substance-free, you know, or to be medicated if they have a mental illness. Some p- programs require people to have a job. And so all those things can be barriers to to um, getting shelter if that's the service you're trying to provide or whatever service you're trying to provide. Just off the top of your head, about how many people do you think you serve all told in a week, let's say? Oh, gosh. Uh, just at the day center alone, we probably serve at least 400 unique people. 
at the at the overnight shelter. It's uh, we serve 40 a night, and there's less turnover there, but so it's probably 40 to 50 in a week at yeah. the overnight shelter. And then we have uh, hundreds of people in housing right now. Crawford Homes has 130, 140 on any given day, um, and Rapid Rehousing, you know, can have. Like last last year, we I think we helped 138 families, uh, individuals and families. That gives you a sense of what's going on over the course of uh, of, a, of a year. I have heard a m- many times that sheriff's deputies from other counties drive in people they consider to be homeless here mm-hmm. because there are services here. Yeah. Maybe they're doing it with the best of possible intentions. I mean, it's absolutely happening and and unfortunate that that's happening. There's certainly a significant percentage of people who use homeless services in Bloomington that aren't didn't become homeless in Bloomington. Right. So not the major, majority by any means, but certainly a significant percentage. So that's that's absolutely happening. And that's part of the reason I talked earlier about the whole idea of shelter that our lack of shelter, that lack of shelter is not a problem here. It's a problem in all these communities around us. If they're from Greene County, they should be able to have a place to go in Greene County. Same with Owen, same with Lawrence, same with Brown. That if people um, need shelter, they should, they sh- that community should take care of their folks. Mm-hmm. And it's very difficult for us to be, you know, when we have somebody come to our doorstep who's, who's um, come from another community to say no to them. So the solution isn't so much that we have great services. It's the solution is that other folks need to need up up their game. I wish that would occur. Um, the only time I've seen this or heard about this work very well is um, in uh, I believe it's in Massachusetts where they have a right to shelter, and each county is responsible to shelter the folks who become homeless in their community. And that mm. that would be something that could work on a state level, you know, to to help ensure people stay in their in their own communities as much as possible. I mean, people have a right to free to, to move from community to community just as anybody does. But a lot of it is resource driven. People want to stay in their homes. They're not coming here because they want to be in our in Monroe County. They're, they come, they come here either because there's nothing for them where they're, where they're at. Again, our guest, Forrest Gilmore, uh, an old friend of the show. He's the executive director of Beacon Incorporated. You know, Forrest, Every political campaign season, it's almost as though you hear, uh, how are we going to solve homelessness? Mm -hmm. Will homelessness ever be, quote unquote, solved? Mm -hmm. Big question. Um, And uh, the short answer is it it absolutely can be. We know how to do it. Uh, It's not a knowledge problem. It's not even that much of a systems problem. Uh, for the most part, it's a funding issue. We could easily, I think, shelter somewhere in the range of 95% to in-house help people get back back home of easy 95% plus of all people experiencing homelessness. There's a small percentage of folks that um, their issues are so severe that they require something um, more than than housing. But the vast majority of people, including the vast majority of people who are street homeless, are, are absolutely um, capable of maintaining a home over time with support. Do you think that there are those who want to be homeless? Yeah, I mean, 
there's a there's a small subpopulation of of what I would describe as travelers that uh, certainly move from community to community. We see folks very like that every now and again, and they're usually here and gone in a few days. They they come through, hmm. they come for a meal or a couple of things like that, and then they head on head out. And then we occasionally deal with some folks who are severely mentally ill, who perceive themselves as wanting to be homeless or. Uh. It's usually related to their their mental illness. For example, somebody who's schizophrenic. We remember they 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 we we had a housing option for them, and they were turning it down because they felt that they had to wait. This person felt like they had to wait for their mother, and that if they moved into a home, their mother wouldn't find them, mm. and that was right out of their you know delusions and perceptions. Mm. And so, you know, a, after starting with permanent supportive housing, Crawford and such, we 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 found an incredibly tiny percentage of people that, you know, I think I couldn't think of maybe three or four in in uh, more than a decade who've said that they didn't want uh, housing when we were able to support them with it. You know, decades ago, and especially during the Great Depression, there was sort of a, a mythic uh, idea of hobos sure. and hobo villages, yeah. riding trains, Woody right. Guthrie singing about right, this. Right, right, of course, thing. yeah. Was that real? <laughs> Was that justified? And does that exist? I mean, <laughs> that kind of uh, romanticized view of the of the person who has no tethers. Yeah, that's not really what we're seeing today, for sure. Uh, again, there's a little bit of traveling like that that we see, and somebody will come in maybe for a couple of days. But the vast majority of folks um, that we see, like the mega majority, super majority, are, are people just really struggling um, either financially or with um, some kind of severe you know, challenges that make, it, uh, make them not capable of having a home without support. Well, as we've alluded to already, uh, some of those challenges are so basic that many of us do not even think about them. You have a wish list uh-huh. <laughs> for things. Yeah. What are those things? Well, our folks often just need the the everyday things that, that you and I need. So, um, so we're always uh, helping folks with shampoo and conditioner when they take showers and laundry soap for when they do their laundry. Uh, but it's also the you know the next level of stuff like deodorant and razors for shaving yeah. and uh, toothbrushes and toothpaste, things like over-the-counter medication like Advil or things like that yeah. are very helpful to people. Uh, we, you know, shoelaces, <laughs> like, or belts, you know, basic things like that. And then, then there's more significant stuff like um, backpacks uh, and uh, and coats and rain gear in the in this time of year. Um, so uh, it can really vary. So how can someone get any of these things to you? Oh, sure. Any any time uh, we're, during our open hours. Um, our day center is open 8 to 4, Monday through Friday, so dropping something off anytime during that time. And if you wanted to bring something to our overnight shelter, they have available hours for drop-offs between about 6 and 9 p.m. every night. And that's, that's, that's seven days a week. Seven days a week. The actual Shalom Center used to operate seven days a week. We did for, for uh, several years. We sure did. A year ago. Yeah. In May. Mm-hmm. The Shalom Center ceased weekend hours. Why mm-hmm. was that? Uh, the core issue was funding. 
when we we opened in 27 we extended from five days a week to seven days a week in 2017 as part of a a, a process with the downtown uh, there was a downtown outreach committee a task force pulled together at that time to recommend some things to do and one of the things that came out of that was trying to get um, Shalom Center open on the weekends mm. and with that came some financial commitment from the city and from the county and and um, from the business community but unfortunately over time that that um, that commitment uh, faded and we didn't have the ability to to keep that going while also keeping friends place our overnight shelter going there were some other challenges which just over time made us need to staff up a little bit more than when we started. Um, and so that was some challenge. Those were some challenges too, but the biggest thing was targeting our resources to make sure that friends place stayed open. Now you're talking about hiring and staffing, but how many people work for the beacon operations? Sure. I think we have right now, I think we have 29 employees total. What do they do? Uh, the vast majority of our staff are what we call caseworkers. Uh-huh. And so they work with clients uh, in supporting them in various things. So, And we use a, an individualized type case management. So we work with folks very specifically um, with their needs and what they have a sense of what they need. And we support them in getting that. So it could be health care. It could be recovery work. It could be a job. Um, it could be uh, mental health care. It could be... Um, ID, you know, it's all kinds of things. What are the things that they need? We had one person years ago who we just helped move into Crawford, and he said the first his first goal that he set was he wanted to reunite with his family, hmm. and because he felt embarrassed about being homeless for so yeah, long and he had sure. separated from his family, so we helped him connect with his family, get back in touch with his family, and his family came and visited him on on, on site in his new home and got to see him in his new home, and that was just one of those. You know, little things that, you know, an outside program of saying this is what you must do as a caseworker, we would never have come up with that. And so listening to our clients and what they think their needs are is very, very important. What kind of background do you need to become, for instance, a caseworker? We try and do a lot of training on site for folks, but uh, generally human services background, social work is the best, but also other health, uh, public health or mm. family and development studies, psychology, those are also good, good backgrounds to have. Could a person who has only a good heart <laughs> come in and say, I want to help, what can I do? Oh, of course, yeah. One, I mean, one, sometimes that happens with employees because we really value skill over experience skill is really i think the most you can't you can't give you can give people experience but you can't always give them skill but we also have lots of volunteer opportunities um, especially at the day center um, cooking in our kitchen as well as uh, working behind our hospitality desk supporting our, our clients there we also need some support at our overnight shelter at friends place now a lot of people know this week's guest as the Reverend Forrest <laughs> Gilmore. Now, you're a Unitarian ordained minister. That's correct. You've actually had congregations uh, in Monterey, California, Princeton, New Jersey. That's but correct. again, that's that's just a coincidence that I ha- regarding yeah. Beacon. Yeah, absolutely. Beacon's a, a secular nonprofit, for lack of better words. But we have, uh, you know, we have people from who are religious, non-religious, you know, all different spectrums who work together um, to support our to support our folks. And our common drive is just care and love and respect for people who are struggling. What brought you to do this work? 
that I've always had a heart for people experiencing homelessness, even going back into my teen years. You know, and this is, I think, I don't know if this was the inspiration as much, but uh, in 2009, I moved to Bloomington. Uh-huh. And some of us may remember what was going on in 2009, which was that was the, the when the big recession yeah. was, was taking place. And we were trying to sell a home, our home in uh, in uh, New Jersey, where we were coming from. We were moving here. I had, I had given notice at my job and so couldn't go back. And uh, and then the recession kind of hit. Uh, as a ministry, you have to give a long time of, of notice. So so we were stuck in trying to make that move when in the midst of the recession and trying to sell a home that we couldn't home, we couldn't couldn't sell. And uh, I have this very vivid memory of having um, uh, of packing up the house and um, in this big rider truck, you know, or whatever Hertz truck or whatever it was, and. Uh, filling it all up, leaving the house for the last time, knowing that we had an offer for the house that we were about to get sold and going a couple of blocks and getting a phone call from our realtor that the buyer had pulled out. Oh. And it was the second buyer to pull out of the house, of, of purchasing the house in that time. And, and just driving to Bloomington with this uh, heartbreak of not knowing what was going to happen. And we, we eventually... Um, had you know we were uh, the house full we did eventually sell it about a year later but we got into trouble with the bank and it was sure. really scary and precarious there and and all that experience um, while I was never really fully at risk of homelessness because I had plenty of education and family to back us up if ever we got to that level um, that that time just deeply overflows and connects with when I started working at uh, Shalom Center for the very first time, and uh, that background just um, carries me n- knowing that um, that time for me was an incredibly scary and and challenging and emotionally struggle difficult experience, fr- very frightening, and so so that that um, helps me and reminds me of how what many of our folks may be feeling when they come in the first time is just the terror and the and the struggle and the fear of what it might be like to have lost their home and to come looking for help so it motivates me to be a place that we can be there for people when they they're going through that my guest this week has been the executive director of Beacon Incorporated and that includes Shalom Center Phil's Kitchen Friends Place the Street Outreach Program, the Rapid Rehousing Program, and the Crawford Homes Housing First. Forrest Gilmore has been here, uh, what is that now, four years, uh, basically, uh, here in Bloomington? Oh, no, I'm going 13. 13, 2009. Oh, <laughs> yeah, my, my math yeah. is way off. Forrest <laughs> yeah. Gilmore is the Executive Director of Beacon Incorporated, the Reverend Forrest Gilmore, Forrest you can get in contact with Beacon Incorporated by going to beaconinc.org or giving a call to 812-334-5734. Forrest, thanks so much for being on Big Talk. Oh, so glad to be here. Thank you. Thank you.